everyone. You're listening to The Moves Room, hosted by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Joe Armstrong. And normally I'd be joined by my co-hosts, Emily and Brad, but uh, can't get together today. Uh, and it's just not working out for this episode. But we got to keep it moving, keep things rolling out. So uh, you're stuck with just me today. All right. And uh, I won't I won't lie to you at all. I'll be very upfront. I tried to do this yesterday. I tried to record an episode by myself and... Uh, it uh, was supposed to be about beef grazing, and all I did was get on my soapbox and uh, and stay off topic for about 30 minutes. So today we're going to try again, uh, especially because I listened to yesterday's recording and it was not good. Not good at all. Hopefully this is a little better, and we're going to try to focus down a little bit uh, and, and choose a little bit different topic because it was what we ended up talking about yesterday when I was trying to record anyway. So topic today is something a little different. I know we said we were on our three-part on our three-part grazing series, but uh, we're gonna take a quick break because I want to talk about greenhouse gases, the beef industry, some land use things, some things that have come up, and that that the general public has a lot of questions about. So most of this episode is gonna be trying to give you some talking points, give you some data. And um, we're going to keep it pretty short because I know you're going to get bored of listening to just me because we don't have Emily and Brad here to keep it entertaining. The other thing is that I think this this episode will tie in really nice to next week when we talk about beef grazing because that, that's the industry that gets blamed the most. You know, we can't eat beef anymore because uh, there's some environmental issues. And I think that's really misleading and, and not quite the whole story. So let's get into it. Dr. Joe will take some questions now. Go ahead and back. Where did you get your information? First thing we need to do is give a big shout out to Sarah Place. Sarah Place is the chief sustainability officer at Alanco, and she is the one who is willing to give me a lot of the information we're going to talk about today. She, it's her slide deck that I watched present at the annual meeting for Minnesota Cattlemen's Association. And I'm really excited that she's got the role she does at Atlanco because I think it's very important for the beef industry, the dairy industry, ag in general, that she's in that position. And uh, I'm excited to see what else she does. Yes, the, the person who looks extremely like my wife who's sitting on the couch. What's the coolest thing about cows? So let's start talking about why cattle are so cool. And right, I'm a little biased, okay? Veterinarian, I work with cattle, dairy and beef in practice. Uh, I work with cattle all the time now in my current job. So yeah, I'm a little biased, but they're pretty cool. First thing, the biggest reason that they're so cool, they taste amazing. No way around that. The end product that comes out of this is steak, is ground beef, is all these different things, and it tastes amazing. That's the thing that, that really it all boils down to. Okay, but why are they cool on the sustainability side? Well, they're doing something that not a whole lot of other species do for us. When we're talking about food, they're taking something that's completely inedible for us, completely inedible, and they're turning it into something that we can eat. And they're not only turning it into something that we can eat, but they're turning it into something that's high quality, high quality protein that is nutrient dense. So the grass is harnessing the sun's energy and it's trapping it in that grass, right? And the cow is taking that grass which we can't eat and they're using that for energy and turning it into something that we can't eat now 90 percent of what cattle eat in the normal grain finished steer or heifer 90 percent of what they eat in their lifetime is not in competition with the human food supply 
That's a big number, big number. And what it comes down to is those animals, even in a grain finished system, those animals are eating a ton of grass and a ton of forage early in their life and for most of their life. And they're really only eating a little bit of grain at the end. Blue shirt, middle of the crowd. I thought grain fed cattle ate only grain. So in the normal grain finished steer heifer, for most of their life, they're eating forage. 82% of their lifetime diet is forage. So grass or hay, some other forage, not grain. I think that's really key. When you're talking to somebody and they get that uneasy feeling when you talk about feeding grain to cattle, you can let them know that almost all cattle are eating almost all forage, not grain, for their entire life. It's just a little bit at the end that we use to get that inter intramuscular marbling, get that fat in the muscle, and get them to grade well. Gentlemen jumping up and down in the front. Uh, yes, thank you for finally calling on me. I thought this meeting was about greenhouse gases. Okay, let's move on to greenhouse gases. I think there's so much to talk about. Cattle get a really bad rap for this. And I think the first thing you need to know is how to choose a credible source when you're talking about this. And for me, there's one really distinct way you can tell if a source has their stuff together and they know what they're talking about. And really, it's all about where do they say the methane comes from. So if you hear anything, anything about cow farts, the source is not credible. Okay, When we're talking about where the methane comes from in a ruminant, in a cow, it doesn't come out the back end. The vast majority of that methane comes out the front end. They, it's from eructation or burping. So if you hear anything about cow farts, just go ahead, listen, be polite, continue to be respectful, but know that source is probably not credible. It comes out the front, it's burping, that's where the methane comes from. It has nothing to do with cow farts for the most part. Let's go to the frustrated person, kind of, uh, yeah, on the left. Nope, not you. You. So you said the, the methane comes out the front, but why does that matter? Uh, they're still producing tons of methane, right? I like to go to the numbers. I always like to go to the numbers. Because to me, numbers are concrete and they give you something to look at. And when we're talking about numbers and beef production in the U.S., life cycle assessments are telling us, and the EPA, EPA Greenhouse Gas Inventory, is telling us that U.S. beef production accounts for 2% of the total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Only 2%. You hear a lot about it being such a dire situation and it's not sustainable and there's no way that we can continue having cows, but 2% is not much. And it seems even less when we talk about a global scale. Okay? U.S. beef production accounts for less than half a percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And I think it seems like even less of a big deal when we look at where do the other emissions come from. In the U.S., U.S. beef production, including all the fossil fuel used, everything, accounts for 2% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. 6.3% of that total is from all other agricultural greenhouse gases. 6.3%. 1.7% is from landfills. 27% of that total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions comes from electricity production. And 28% comes from transportation. So, all of U.S. beef production accounts for 2%. Electricity and 
production and transportation account for more than half of what's going on. In addition to that, there's still some percentage points left, right? 35% of the total comes from all other human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. Yep, go ahead, Frederick. So what about all these movements when it comes to vegans and eating less meat? Is that, is that going to make a difference or not? Let's get to my favorite study. I've got a favorite study right now. I really, really love this study. It's a study. It's a collaboration between Virginia Tech and the USDA. It's done by White and Hall in 2017. And the premise is really basic. I really like it because it's very simple, very easy to follow. And the premise is, what if everyone in the U.S. became a vegan overnight and, and this is key, all the cows magically disappeared. So they're just gone. Didn't have to figure out what to do with them. Didn't have to figure out where to put them. They just magically disappeared. And we're all eating a plant-based diet now. Overnight. Snapped our fingers. That's how it happened. And the question from that is, how would that affect U.S. nutrition first? And then what would it do to greenhouse gas emissions? So they modeled this, tried to figure out how this was all going to work. All built on the premise that cows just magically disappeared. And every single person in the U.S. was vegan. The whole questions for now. I think I know what your question is. You know, what do animal-derived foods do for us in the U.S.? And so that's what we're going to talk about real quick. The big thing is that animal-derived foods account for 24% of the total energy and 48%, 48% of the total protein available for human consumption in the U.S. And that's a, Those are big numbers, big numbers. So we know that animal-derived foods are very important. And then they become even more important when we look at essential fatty acids and essential amino acids. So essential fatty acids from animal-derived foods account for 23, depending on the diet and where you are, 23, all the way up to 100% of the available consumption in the U.S. And on the amino acid side, it's 34 to 67% of the essential amino acids. That's just kind of to get us set up to talk about what they found with nutrition when we move to a 100% plant-based diet in the U.S., and all the cows magically disappeared. What did the paper find? Yeah, what did the paper find? So here's what the paper found. Big takeaway here. Quote, Although modeled plants-only agriculture produced 23% more food, it met fewer of the U.S. population's requirements for essential nutrients. When nutritional adequacy was evaluated by using least-cost diets produced from foods available, more nutrient deficiencies, a greater excess of energy, and a need to consume a greater amount of food solids were encountered in the plants-only diet, end quote. So if we went to plants-only and all the cattle and every, all the cattle just disappeared overnight, we would produce more food, mostly because we would have to. We have to produce more because we have to eat more because we have less energy-dense, less nutrient-dense food. And we would have more nutrient deficiencies. We, I told you already when we're looking at animal-derived foods, they account for a big, big portion of our energy, protein, essential fatty acids, and essential amino acids in our diet. So we're producing more food, yes. But we have to eat more because it's less energy-dense. And we're going to have more nutrient deficiencies across the country based on our dietary restrictions of a plant-only based diet. So here's another quote to just wrap up the nutrition section. Quote, this assessment suggests that removing animals from the U.S. agricultural would reduce agricultural greenhouse gas emissions, but would also create a food supply incapable of supporting the U.S. population's nutritional requirements, end quote. So there's a big problem there, 
Okay, we are decreasing greenhouse gas emissions if we magically make all the cattle disappear and we eat a plant-only based diet. But we have big, big nutritional problems in the country because of it. Yes, Murphy, you have a question. Getting rid of the cows must have changed the environment a lot, right? Lots less greenhouse gases? Okay, so I said we would reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the quote from that paper. So we got to talk about it. Okay, so remember, everyone's now vegan. Cows magically disappeared. Greenhouse gases would be reduced. Big takeaway from this paper. But by how much? That's the key. How much? We would reduce U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by having the cows magically disappear and eating only plant-based food by 2.6%. 2.6% we would decrease U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. On a global scale, that means we would reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 0.36%. That is an absolutely minuscule amount, even in this absolutely extreme case of getting rid of all the cows and making everyone a vegan. So should I eat cows or not? So I think this paper is really, really clear. Eat cows, don't eat cows. It really doesn't matter all that much. What's your take on all this? Here's where we get into my opinion, and I like to point out when I'm, I am going on just my opinion here. Everything up until this point, we've talked about data, research, numbers. This is my opinion. I'm not going to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't eat. Mostly because I don't think it's my business. It's everyone's individual choice, and we should respect that. And that's where I'm sitting on that front. Also, when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions, I think I presented enough data to say that food choice plays such a really small role in the total greenhouse gas emissions that it's really not worth fighting over. And it's not something I'm willing to focus a whole lot of time on uh, in, in trying to convince people that they need to eat a certain way. Time for one more. Don't you want people to eat beef? So, of course, I'm gladly going to welcome anyone who wants to eat beef. Definitely will welcome anyone who wants to join that club. But I'm not going to fight over what you should or shouldn't eat because I don't think it matters when it comes to greenhouse gases. We can rely on our product to defend itself. It tastes amazing. We produce it in a safe way. It's reliable, consistent, and efficient. And we're the best at it in the world. So let's just keep putting our product out there, keep putting that beef out there, keep getting our message across. Hopefully today I gave you some talking points to get through. Please keep in mind, keep it polite, keep it respectful. There's no reason to, to get drug down in the mud, get down in the dirt. Keep it nice, keep it professional. And hopefully these are some of the numbers you can use. With that, we got to wrap up. Brad and Emily aren't here to, to give us the true entertainment. And, and I am sorry for that. Um, but that means we do, we should wrap up so you can be done listening to me. Catch the podcast next week. We have our final episode on grazing. We'll be talking about just beef grazing. If you haven't listened to episodes two and three, go back and listen to those if you can. They're definitely set the, the base info and knowledge that you, you're going to add a lot more to your listening experience in episode five. And, and get a lot more out of that beef grazing episode if you've had the time to listen to the general grazing and the dairy grazing episode. As always, if you'd like to learn more or you need something to reference, please visit our website, extension.umn.edu. That's extension.umn.edu. If you have any questions for us, comments about the show, or any ideas about what you'd like to hear, send them to our email, themoosroom at umn.edu. 
That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at U-M-N dot E-D-U. Again, big shout out to Sarah Place. Really appreciate her being willing to send that slide deck over. Uh, Information she had in there was great. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Yes, Murphy, you have a question. Hello. Hello.